0: So, just trying to think, I hope started in April of 2000, that would make this our 15th or 16th Thanksgiving, because we did one in 2000, and then this would be 16th, I think, yeah. It's math. Don't try to do it. I can't do it either. It's just... Okay, we'll go with 15th. It seems important, so we'll leave it there. It doesn't matter. We've been here for a while. How's that? Okay. And uh, I don't think... I might be wrong, but I don't think I've ever actually done a Thanksgiving sermon before. I'm usually finishing up a series or in-between series, and I do something different like we did last week. And so I was listening... Uh, I have this bad habit. I listen to n p r on the radio, and uh there was this discussion <laughs> i, I don 't know how i don 't know how to describe uh, how bizarre this was, but there was a discussion between. Uh, like a representative of a Native American group and a scholar who had just written a book on the pilgrims and uh, you know kind of about the original Thanksgiving, but it really was about colonialism and imperialism and um, and and so at some point, uh, either a caller or one of the people you know suggested that all religious extremism is equal, and the suggestion was actually put on the table, I'm not making this up, that the pilgrims are in the same camp as Isis. And I was very, very pleased. The, the scholar who had just written a book uh, about the pilgrims was actually from Cal Berkeley, which is not exactly... Uh, let 's How do we want to say this usually a place that we find to be friendly to the Christian perspective? Is that a fair statement okay um, the The Berkeley scholar actually I think it was a caller, corrected the caller and and said, "Well, actually, the pilgrims weren 't here to kill people they didn't that didn 't agree with them and in fact." They never made it a matter of policy to kill people for religious reasons. And I was actually blessed that somebody that I was would have assumed might have picked up that mantle and, and run with it, uh, kind of stopped the conversation and said, no, 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 not all extremism is the same. In fact, the pilgrims came here to escape that kind of behavior. That's why they were here. It was so bad in England and Holland um, that it made getting onto a worm-infested vessel and floating across the unknown in the cold or whatever seem like a great idea. Like, let's, let's just be miserable for three or four weeks uh, because at least we have a chance... Of getting somewhere where we can be alive and miserable instead of miserable and then quickly, suddenly dead. So, um, all that to say, it got me thinking about Thanksgiving. Not in the terms of the original Thanksgiving, but really in terms of biblical gratitude. Where does this come from? Where is where is it rooted what's at the heart of our thankfulness as Christians and so i want to just sort of drill down into that a little bit this morning and see where god takes us with that so just to be clear this isn't a this isn't a revisiting of the first thanksgiving this is a uh, a question about what it is that we're thankful for and i want to introduce you to a a word that is used in the Greek New Testament um, in various forms, and I'm going to try to I'm try to explain this as carefully as I can because I've got like a stinking Greek scholar in the back row, and it's always it would be so much easier, Rusty, if you weren't here, and I could just make stuff up and you know throw things into big categories, and nobody would know any different, you know. Uh, I didn't know that <laughs> You hadn't discerned yet that that stops me. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, let's take the word gratitude. It's related to the word gratuity or graciousness or gratification. Those are all words that have the same root. Does that make sense? Okay. So, there's a word in Greek that has various forms that all share the same root and that word is most often translated as grace but i've i've got a a couple of uh scripture passages in your bulletin and i've taken the grotesque liberty to highlight a few of those words for you uh, these, all of the words that are in bold italics in your passage today, the bold italics were put there by me, and all of those words share the same root, the root word for grace. So, grace and gratitude are, etymologically, they share the same root in English as in Greek. You with me? All right, so we have a root that we're looking at and exploring as we try to understand. Here's the theory. Well, let's read the word and then we'll get to theory. Okay. John 1, verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace He has made him known. And then we see this same root very actively used in uh, a passage in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, where the Apostle Paul teaches the church in Colossae these words, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, so all of those words that are highlighted share the same root, and you can see the the diversity of ways in which they 're translated or, or used in their original context to sort of spread out the meaning of this idea of grace. The theory is just this, that at the core, at the heart of gratitude is grace, that it's, it's grace that drives our gratefulness, if you will. Um, and so I want to just sort of explore that idea and, and maybe to take that one step farther to say that because God has shown us his grace, our calling is to be thankful. How's that? That's what I was trying to say. So this idea of thanksgiving, of being grateful souls, begins with Christ. Grace starts with Christ, with Jesus. Um. The Apostle John, in his first chapter of his gospel, tells us some astounding things about Jesus. Things, these, are, these are truth claims that are unequaled in the history of civilization. No one has ever claimed that what John is claiming about Christ. No one has ever made these claims about another being, at least another human being, in the history of humankind. This is bold, strong language that is unapologetic in its claim. And so let's just take a look at some of the things that the Apostle John tells us about Jesus. That through Jesus, God became real to us. You know, the idea of God can be very, let's call it ethereal, very mysterious, very distant, very unknowable or seemingly unknowable. And all societies throughout all of history have kind of played around with this idea of God, of of who God is or what God is, or maybe there's more than one, maybe there's a bunch of them, maybe they're just playing with us right? When we've felt that way before in our lives, Uh, maybe there isn't one could be another way to look at it. Uh, But John is saying that in Christ, God became fully real to us. Let's, let's take a look at what he's saying. It's, it's a claim that God entered our history he entered into history. Um, I was uh, thinking about this, and our universe is largely described in the terms of space, matter, time, and energy. And then maybe some other stuff people are still trying to figure out. I don't really know. It's not my wheelhouse, right? I got to be careful because there's like a Guy that understands all this stuff here today, so um, And I wasn't pointing at you, Dr. True. yeah, and yeah, you knew that. You, yeah, okay. Um, just in case you know you're not already humble, it's my job, yeah. So God who does not consist of space, matter, time or energy stopped in a existence that doesn't really know time he stopped and entered history he came out of wherever he exists apart from this universe and broke in and established himself on earth the word became flesh he became one of us, part of us. And he not only entered into history, he entered into humanity, what you might describe as the ugliest part of creation. God said, I'm going there. I've got some business to do. And the only way for me to pull off what I want is to enter into their existence, to become one of them. Let me be clear, he didn't stop being God. He just started being human. And so God, through Christ, became real to us. Grace made a shift in its relationship to humanity by God becoming human. And not only did God become Real to us through Christ. He became known to us through Christ. And so John essentially says if you want to know God, you have to know the man who is God. It's the link, it's the connection, it's the point at which the two existences touch. And so here he is. And when we know him, we know God. We see what has never been seen we experience what has never been experienced we know what has never been known at least not to this extent god became known to us in christ he made his grace available to us for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace And John goes on to say, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. This is a bizarre statement. Did you follow that? So, no one's ever seen God. Check. Got that. You know, Moses, like, caught a glimpse of his back or something, right? And glowed like he would, was chewing uranium for a week or so, or more, I don't remember how long. Um, no one's ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. So, wait a minute. No one's ever seen God. Got that. Uh, the only God, okay, I think I know who you're talking about, who's at the Father's side. Wait, I thought the Father was the only God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So this is a claim. This is a bold claim statement, that Jesus Christ is God. He and the Father, as Jesus would say later in the Gospel of John, are one. There is God the Father, there is God the Son, they're both, well, how does he put it, the only God. How many gods do we believe in? That'd be one. And somehow, God the Father God the Son, God the Holy Spirit being one are still able to relate to each other. And it took Christianity about 300, 250 years to figure all this out. Um, but let me just emphasize how radical of a statement this is. And So Christ makes God and His grace available to us, and He makes God personal to us. He brings the eternal being of God into each of our hearts to live there by the presence of His Holy Spirit. And this is such a radical shift in human understanding of who God is and how he relates to his people. Up until this point, you went to a centralized location and worshiped a God, at least in Judaism, who was behind a curtain. His throne was in a dark room. And no one went in there except for one guy one day a year. And even he had a rope tied around his waist. In case he died, while he was in there, they could drag him out Uh, So nobody else had to go in there and die with him. So this means that this God, who is so ethereal and mysterious and sometimes distant, has been brought into each of our hearts. That he has taken up residence within each one of us in a way that defies even our understanding or any understanding prior to the writing of this passage. So, grace starts with Christ. He changes everything. And grace turns on one concept. Forgiveness. This is where everything changes for us. Paul describes this change in his letter to the Colossians in chapter 3, in verses 12 and 13. Um, Listen to these words. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Yeah, that's what comes natively out of Pastor Tom. You know, when I'm mad, I always go straight to the, that list, right? It's just part of my, no, it's not really. Annie's shaking her head. She's like, I've seen mad, and it's nothing like this list in that guy. This is the change that Paul is describing, that grace brings about in our hearts that shift away from our own selfishness and anger and pride into this changed life. We're called to begin this change in our walk with Christ. It's not going to be perfect in this life. It's not going to be complete in this life. But it starts here. It starts now. The shift, the change. You have been shown grace, Paul reminds us. Um, interesting that the actual root of the word grace is the same word that's at the root of this word for forgiveness here. Um, You have been forgiven. It's used as a verb here, and you are called to forgive. You've been shown grace. You're called to show grace. And Paul even says, it's not just that you're called, you've been chosen to show grace. You've been chosen to be the recipients of grace and forgiveness. You're chosen to be the exhibitors of grace and forgiveness. Begin the change is our call and experience the love. Paul reminds us this is the greatest gift, the forgiveness frees us to enjoy the love. Without the forgiveness, we're not in a posture to relate to God in a loving sense. We're only in fear of him, of his wrath. With what Christ has done to take our sins upon himself, we're free of that fear, and we relate to God in terms of his love for us for the first time. And Paul says not only is this the greatest gift, it's what brings it all together. Love sort of brings into the pen the compassion, the gentleness, the kindness, the patience, the forgiveness. It brings it all together and holds it in. And so we are to see that grace begins with Christ, that it all turns on forgiveness, and that grace brings about gratitude. Um, Paul, after he talks about the change and the basis for the change, he shifts to the, using the same root of the word to talk about our gratitude. And He begins this by saying that we are to let the peace of Christ rule in us. What used to rule in my heart? What used to rule? Self interest, self satisfaction, self protection. Um, All these things start with self. I thought I was in charge. And God comes in and breaks all that down and says, I've got this. You're forgiven. You're free. You're loved. Be at peace. We are to let this peace move us toward unity. We are to let this peace move us to be thankful. In this case that root is used in an adjective that we are to be thankful people, grateful people, gracious people. It is to define who we are, to modify our selves. That is its purpose. We let the peace of Christ rule in us, and we let the word of Christ dwell in us. It is interesting, in verse 16, find my place. It's okay. You see the uh, thankful in the, in the passage where the highlights are? It says thankful, thankfulness, and then giving thanks. You see those that's in the printed passage? Those first two are... The first one and the third one are one word, all related with the same root. The middle one is actually the same word that's used in the John passage to describe the grace that comes to us through Christ, the grace upon grace. And so it's almost like he says with grace in your hearts to God, with with graciousness, with gratitude in your hearts. This is to define our hearts and what is there. We are to let God's grace flow through us, and we're to let it return to him to bring him glory. In this last instance, it's used as a verb again because Rusty cares about those kinds of things. Um, but it's an action, this gratitude, this graciousness is an action on our part that is to ultimately bring glory to God. When we are thankful, when we are gracious, when we are loving, when we are forgiving, compassionate, kind, gentle, or patient, we're bringing glory to God. Because these are all attributes that are foreign to us natively. They're not part of who we are uh, at our heart. But when our hearts are changed by the love of God through Jesus Christ, all of these attributes are free to flow through us in ways they never would have before. And so we are called to be thankful, to be people of grace. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for... Your Word, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, and all that He poured out on our behalf. We thank You for His willingness to sacrifice, for His eagerness to see change brought about in this world, for His love that knows no limits. Lord, Help us to see more clearly who you are and how your love impacts our lives. Help us to understand that we are forgiven and loved and included in your family. And let us be eternally grateful. And may it all bring glory to your name. In your son's name we pray. Amen.